I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. I'm going to go ahead and guess that sometime in recent memory, you have gone out to eat in a restaurant that was really small and really loud, like a laid back bar atmosphere where the servers were dressed informally and they served little plates of food that you're supposed to share. Maybe there was a chalkboard on the wall with specials that changed each week. Maybe there were artisanal cocktails being served. Maybe it was lit dimly with vintage bare bulbs. Maybe they didn't take reservations. Maybe there was an open kitchen. Maybe it was on a sketchy street with an empty laundromat on one side and a cash for gold shop on the other. If this rings a bell, if you have been to one of the dozens or hundreds of restaurants that match this description almost exactly, then you have felt the influence of Gen Ag. Five and a half years ago, Gen Ag opened the Black Hoof in Toronto. And I don't think there's much dispute about it. That put Toronto on the map as a restaurant town, as a serious food city. Ever since then, Jen has been a fixture in the food press. Her Twitter account is widely read. She opines on issues in her field with great regularity. Jen always has interesting things to say about the restaurant world, about the food world, about the food media. And she always has really good wine, which is why I'm so glad that she welcomed me into her house for a conversation that you're going to hear in just a minute. Hold on for it. 
This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. How awesome am I at this sponsorship stuff? Well, I'll tell you. Um, maybe you've heard me mention FreshBooks, this show sponsor, many times on this show. If so, you've heard me say that FreshBooks beats the pants off of Microsoft Word or Excel for billing your clients. If you're a freelancer like me, if you're self-employed, if you're a small business or contractor, that it's cloud accounting, that it's painless billing, that you can get paid online, you can snapshots of your receipts and file them automatically, that it's great for taxes. You've heard me say all this. You've heard me direct you to freshbooks.com to sign up for a free trial. But you have never heard me tell you something crucial, which is that when you're there signing up for your free account, they will ask you where you heard about FreshBooks, and you should say Canada Land. It's kind of an important part that I have forgotten about until now. Check it out. Try it out for free. Tell them who sent you. Visit FreshBooks.com. So, food. <laughs> is that your is that your intro? That's Food, it. Food dot dot dot. Food. What's up with that? <laughs> I'm actually asking that question. It felt like seven years ago. Five and a half years ago. Five and a half years ago. <laughs> it really felt like like one day everyone was just like, oh, food is good. Let's talk a lot about food and talk a lot about restaurants and chefs and talk a lot about cooking. Like it felt like it happened like that. Well, that's a lot of different questions all in one question. That's how I. That's yeah. What, yeah. I, I have some theories. I think that when the recession hit in two thousand and what was it eight? There's something yeah. something because I remember thinking we're opening a restaurant in a recession, so that's fucked up. But food got a lot cheaper around that time. A lot of fine dining restaurants closed or changed formats. And I think people responded, it's always economic. People responded to the economy. 
mm-hmm. uh, and especially restaurant people, because I think restaurant people are survivors. So they responded. And when food became more affordable, it becomes, of course, more accessible to the masses. So where, say, a Centro, um, just for an example, or a North 44, which were the kind of the stalwarts um, and Splendido of the, what, late 80s, We're talking 90s. about fine dining, fine dining in Toronto. I'm talking just about Toronto. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously, like, Toronto responds to the trends of, of the world in North America um, and the trends specifically of New York and possibly a little bit behind on yeah. that. Uh, actually, a little bit behind on that. So I think when, when it became more accessible, like, people freaked out and they were just like, oh, we can actually go to go to restaurants because people were opening. People always want to go to restaurants, but maybe, maybe they're not always going to want to spend $40 on a steak at a restaurant. Yeah. So I think I think that's part of it. For me, it wasn't like I was eating at Splendido and then I was like, oh, shit, there's a recession. No. For me, it was like having lived in Toronto and Montreal, mostly cities that have really good and really cheap ethnic food, eating out was like, why would I, like, that's for suckers to go to like a restaurant. You'd like, go to like a casual, fu- I would casual place all the time. To Indian, Chinese, Japanese, like I would go to like almost exclusively. And this is, yeah, it, it coincides with my student years. But even beyond that, like it wasn't like, I, I, I just resented going to restaurants and it was, at, it was, and this is not, um, what do you mean resented going to restaurants? Like I did not feel comfortable in like an actual grown-up person restaurant where I sat down and the entrees were like... But they weren't comfortable places. Yeah. And I, I think that's a part of the revolution that I'm talking about is they were not... They were, by design, the sort of French culture of restaurants was meant to make you feel like you didn't belong unless you inherently belonged, which is so fucked up. It actually was your restaurant where I was like, oh, this is instead of going out to a bar or a club, this is an evening's entertainment. I can hang out with my friends. I don't have to feel like there's a proper way to behave here. That's the idea. Yeah, and and, and it felt like that coincided with a larger cultural trend towards a celebration of food as a sensual thing, as a rock and roll thing, and of cooks, and of like, it just became young and sexy and lots of tattooed people, and it was like, it was very much like cubes of fat and pork and poutine. Excess. Excess, as opposed to like, the people I know who were very concerned with food, and the articles I'd read about food, the media treatment of food beforehand was all about how it was gonna kill me, and what kind of food was bad for me, and what the proper diet was, and all of a sudden it became about pleasure. Right. No, I think, and I think that's exactly what the idea was. That was, that was what I was thinking about for a really long time before we did this, which was, you know, I want to wear jeans and Converse to work because that's what I'm comfortable in. And I want to listen to My Bloody Valentine and Jesus and Mary Chain. And the fact that it's dark and loud. I mean, these are, this is the environment that I wanted to be in. And I, I knew there were restaurants sort of like that in New York that kind of had that vibe. And definitely, you know, you can't ignore the David Chang effect. And certainly that was like part of his aesthetic in a lot of ways was to serve delicious food in a casual environment. It's, you know, it's a good idea. Yeah. So, and there, Joe beef as well, obviously in Montreal. Yeah. I was doing that for a couple of years before we were. Yeah. So let me ask you that because, you know, I, I don't think it's even a question that there were dozens of imitators or just people inspired by what you're doing, but who are you, who were you ripping off? It was Momofuku and, um, it was, and it was Joe beef. I would never say ripping off because I actually think, I don't think like that in terms of I'd never actually never been to Joe Beef before I opened the Hoof, which is shocking and embarrassing. Right. But it's true. I don't think that the Hoof in any way feels like a David Chang restaurant. So I don't. I see it as more. Yeah, like some you can do this. You can do something that's like your personality, and and you can you can make it yours. And I always. I I, I don't think I necessarily. I wouldn't say rip off. I would say the the cues that you take from what's happening in the world. And you kind of put them together. And I know. I know in a lot of ways. I probably feel like a lot of people have 
taken cues from me and I would describe that as ripping off. <laughs> but I can I can certainly recognize recognize that in other people. <laughs> I love how the longer this explanation of how you never ripped anyone off is like I have I have accused others of ripping. I off, never have. But, no, I would oh, never have never... accused them. I mean, I've I've certainly thought that. Right. They, in and, my head, yeah, right. I wouldn't say it out loud. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> no, I honestly, like, it's, I think it's an important point to make because I really do think, and especially for Toronto, that there was, that that was a very. Uh, different concept, and and there's a reason. Yeah, no, but for Toronto, it didn't. And I've never, I still haven't been to a restaurant in New York that reminds me of Hoof, and I, I say right. that totally. Like, there's like the Spotted Pig has like maybe something in common with the Hoof, but it's not the same at all. Like, it's a pub, and it's like, yeah, I think I just I haven't been to a place that makes me think, oh, this is just like the Hoof. It's hard to say like where everything comes from, and I I'm not just saying that to avoid the question of like who did you rip off. It's more just like you read books, you read cookbooks, you see what's happening in the world, you travel a little bit here and there where you can. And yeah, I think I just really built this structure on sort of my cultural idea of what cool was as a teenager. And that's the kind of space that I wanted to, to spend my time in. And it was really more about that. Like the food was almost, uh, I mean, obviously the food was hugely important, but it was to me like building the culture and the idea of what this restaurant was. Yeah. It was really, really important. Have you seen that trend? I mean, Montreal kind of had its own pre-existing food culture. And, and food was hip in Montreal, you know, prior to what you did. Oh, Pied de Cochon, obviously. Yeah. You can't agree. Yeah, that. actually, Pied de Cochon was kind yeah, of... Yeah, uh, a big deal. That was sort of a precursor, yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Your recession food theory is part of it, but there was also something that was happening in the media that wasn't necessarily even about restaurants. What's that? Anthony Bourdain and Kitchen Confidential. Oh, for sure. But there, like, there was like, oh, this is a cool profession. This is rock and roll. Which, I mean, anyone that's ever worked in a kitchen, you know, it's, it's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I kind of always had this, like, weird thing for food, but it, I, I never imagined in a million years it was hip, and I would watch, like, Walk with Wong. Isn't what, it so strange how it happened, though? Like, it really seemed to happen overnight. It really went from, like, yeah, something that I felt like I shouldn't be watching as a young dude to, like, it's all about these young dudes. Yeah. And these celebrity chefs. Do you, do you have any thoughts on just like what happened and why that happened the way it happened? I think Anthony Bourdain is a crucial part, but I, I know that there are blocks, like there's stepping stones that kind of allowed that to happen. Obviously, they're, they're all, they always, I think there always are. I mean, sometimes some part of me thinks that a, a one individual can change culture and change the world. And it really is sometimes about that, about how somebody having this like kind of idea and just exploding and it really taking hold. And then another part of me thinks, well, if Tina Turner had never opened the door, there would be no Beyonce. So there are building blocks that happen and, and steps that need to be taken for people to exist as who they are. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I mean, I, would, I know that subculture existed, but if Anthony Bourdain had not put the words in that way, used a little hyperbole, uh, exaggerated the heroine, maybe a little. And I mean, the drug's not the girl hero because there's no girl hero in that story um and well let's talk about that too because it is super bro-y like the is culture it? is uh do you think i don't know i mean i've never noticed that wait does sarcasm translate through a microphone <laughs> when you when you do it to that extent i think it, uh, i've never noticed that it's bro-y no huh uh yeah it's mega bro-y man it's crazy yeah. it's crazy 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 and it's like all bros before hoes 100 percent so, like, what does that mean in, in... It's an expression. It means that... No, in practice, what does that mean when you're, like, working in a kitchen? It means... It, it's, like, you're, you're running a staff. I'm running a staff. And you are a woman, we should say, to the people listening. That, in case they you. had not picked up on that. Right. This is a culture of, like, young dudes performing their masculinity in a lot of ways, right? Like, it's... it's Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very much, like, um, 
Uh, it's very much like an army, a kitchen. And I, I've had people that have not taken well to working with or working under me as a boss. And there's not a lot you can do about that. I mean, you can, it's a really hard thing to navigate because it's, it's so frustrating when you know if you were a guy, it would just not be like that. It's a really hard thing. Describe the situation that you're stepping into to begin with. Like, what is that bro culture like? I think the best way to describe it is sort of as a caricature of itself. So I think almost a pride and a lack of education in some ways, Mm -hmm. which is a very challenging thing because how do you get through to that when it's like when you're dealing with somebody who maybe is going to like make fun of you for using a three syllable word, you know, it's, it's like pride in like machismo and just, I always found it really funny how you could be making a gay joke while grabbing another man's balls. Is that part that's, of the tree? You hear a lot about kind of that's like, like the best way a homoerotic, like football yes. player kind of it's, like. It's the best way to describe it because it's like you guys are making like the most offensive jokes about gay men. Yeah. But you're literally, you had this points game going for grabbing each other's balls. Yeah. So it's kind of your, it's kind of weird. And How yeah. does that factor in with your employee hygiene, hand washing policies? Always wash your hands after grabbing a man's balls. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely never played the ball grab game because it's <laughs> stupid. Right. But we're like talking about like everyone's like shoulder to shoulder. There's knives. There's fire. There's like, I guess it's just kind of. It's a hard environment. I yeah. mean, there's like, that's the thing that, and that's something that I, I couldn't speak to because I've never, I've never spent you know, 15 hour days over and over again in a kitchen. Like I don't, I'm in the environment. I know what it's like. I see it all the time. I can be there like the same number of hours, but it's a different thing. And especially on the line, like it's, you watch these, these guys kind of dance and like, it can be a very beautiful and seductive thing. And when you see them with the knives and the fire, well, in our case, the electric burners and the beautiful coordination of like dancing around a a tiny space, it, it can be so, beautiful that you forget like that there's like so there's a really interesting dichotomy of this like incredibly brutal masculine to the point of like ridiculous military hierarchical environment slash ballet yeah so it's it's yeah it's fascinating and i understand why people are fascinated by it and generally like a lot of the cooks and chefs that i've known i mean i've known a lot of really hilarious funny smart cooks and chefs but also like a lot of introverts and yeah. And like who don't really know how to deal with people. Antisocial young dudes who generally I'd say that are not always like right. not terrible. Like these are people who work with their hands and maybe who didn't do so well in an academic environment and maybe even pride themselves on that. And for the longest time we kept them in the back. We didn't want to see them. Like the, the restaurant mm-hmm. put on a face and hired beautiful people with wonderful social graces to hang out out front and, and you weren't supposed to see these dudes. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, like the whole concept of the hoof and its, you know, bastard children seem to be like, <laughs> it's bastards. bring these guys out front. Let's watch them work. Let's yep. hear them yell at each other. Let's see the flames go up and get close to your it's food. It's part of the theater too. I mean, yeah. I think bar seven, eight are the best spots in the house. Do you ever feel like, okay, it's enough of having them up front. Let's put them back again. 
Oh, in a, an airtight box. Um, no, no, I never think that. I think it's like, like it's so chefy now, and now it's like they're all on Twitter, like checked out your restaurant, bro. Dug killing it. it. Loved your restaurant, man. And oh it's, my it's god, like, don't it's get me started. All about these dudes now, and sometimes the restaurants suck, and they're just sometimes kinda, the Twitter feeds suck. Yeah, that too. Like, like you, they're like, like <laughs> has it gone too far? Are these guys like does every every little like local chef think that he's like a rock star? Yes, I think that is like absolutely that's true. Yeah. Yes. It's weird. It's weird, but I think it's true. And I think maybe, like, visual artists need to take back the night or some shit. <laughs> what? I'm serious. The visual artists need, need to, to take back the night. The visual artists need to take it back from the, the chefs. Yeah, they need to, like, you know. Yeah, enough of you people. Yeah. It's about paintings Here's again. Here's some paintings. <laughs> Look at them. Understand them. Or don't. <laughs> but it sort of spawned this whole, like, dialogue that's about more than the restaurants now. Like, the food press. The Twitter wars between chefs. Who said what? Yes. Like, and there are these food trends and food conflicts and food issues that seem to come with some regularity that often, like, you've been involved in a few of these, right? Um, doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, yeah I, I assume you're referring to douchegate. <laughs> why don't you tell everybody about douchegate? <laughs> no, you, I don't know. It's a stupid thing. Uh, it's, it's really a very silly thing. I got really annoyed with a lot of people being really terrible customers, which occasionally happens. I understand that I'm in hospitality and I have to deal with things in a different way than regular people do, but I just got frustrated and I tweeted something along the lines of, dear everyone in here right now, please stop being such a douche. Something to that effect. I'm very close to that. And it just like created this crazy chain reaction and people got so mad about it. You appeared on The Current? I think it was actually The Current, but it was Matt Galloway instead of the regular person oh, Matt, or something okay, like that. Because it wasn't that early. I remember thinking this is a reasonable hour. Right. So. Like, you got irritated with some douchebags in your restaurant. They were about being douchebags. And it made national news. Okay, that is that is weird. Isn't that odd? Yeah. That's odd. It is. I, I, I thought about it at the time. I was like, well... Um, I guess I'm going to take this opportunity to go on the radio and explain myself and talk about how I was defending my staff. And P.S. If a guy had tweeted that, it would have been totally fine. I happened to see a couple of other similar tweets from that weekend from guys with maybe, you know, a smaller Twitter audience, but like the same kind of things. And yeah, and like no reaction. And it's like, it's cool. That's cool, bro. Right. Fuck that. It's so annoying. I mean, on the one hand, it's nice to get press, and you embraced it, and you you defended your position, which is essentially, if I remember, customers can be as rude as, as they want. And complain about it. And this is like a pressure release where you're not going to call them douchebags to their face, but your Twitter account is your own, and this is like the kind of restaurant you're running, and you're going to say what you want. Yes, and, right. I, and, I, and I firmly believe that I did the right thing, ultimately, and I think... I think you held your own. I, I mean, my only negative take was like, this is so weird that is this weird. is a big story. It is weird. I agree that it's weird, though. Like, yeah. I think it's weird. But, you know, I listened with interest, so that's what they're looking for. And But that wasn't the only one. There was... Um, I don't remember. There him. was, like, a horse meat thing about, you know, the ethics of horse meat became a big thing for... Well, you know what? If you're going to eat a hamburger, like, you can shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> but, but cows aren't as cute as horses. That's true. Or as noble. Or as noble. Or as helpful in times of war. That is, that is the fairest point that I've heard about this. And, uh, <laughs> and then there was Tipgate. I don't even remember that. Should we be tipping 15% or 20% or should we have tips at all? That was like... There's a lot of conversations about dumb shit in this industry that doesn't yeah. matter. Well, that's not, that's not even your industry. That's my industry that's mm -hmm. like doing that. Like, what do you think about like this... 
annual need for like, what are the food trends going to be in 2014? I'm thinking rodent milk. And, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. And my minute amounts of poison. <laughs> my, well, actually, we're, we're serving a drink at Cocktail Bar. It's called The Little Death. And uh, one of the flavorings is apricot kernels, which, as I'm sure you know, is where cyanide comes from. So we ah. put in the descriptive only trace amounts of cyanide. We don't sell very many wow. of them. Wow. I, <laughs> so really I was totally just kidding, and I called it. You were trying to start a minute trace minute. amount of poison food trend. <laughs> just a little. Awesome. Just a little, it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you play a game with these things where I feel like you appreciate that that's the world you're living in and that and the media is looking for this stuff and you'll start a conversation about how vodka is bullshit. I know. I just do what I want. I'm not trying to have a relationship with the media about it. Uh-huh. I honestly. Some of these things that you kind of introduce are like bait for these kinds of stories you know only because i have a big mouth yeah. like like it's not it's not it's really i mean the vodka is stupid i say which oh this is such a good story you wrote an essay about how vodka is stupid it is fucking stupid um so i wrote this essay and it was completely tongue-in-cheek but also what i was thinking at the moment i mean it's to me not as interesting a product to work with as gin or rye or tequila or all these other things that have all this flavor so i wrote a, a very silly funny not very funny. Yeah. I would say very silly, yet funny, tongue-in-cheek essay about this And about subject. how premium vodka is especially dumb, because you might as well just call it, that I like to get drunk. true. Yeah. Though that's really true. Like, if you're going to drink vodka, drink the cheap shit. Don't pretend that it's yeah. like some delicious, awesome thing that's worth $45. It's just not. It's like a brilliant marketing <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. But what I'm trying to talk about is this food trend shtick. I think it's so stupid. I mean, it's like, I hate it. It's... Hey, Brussels sprouts, so hot this year. And now it's kale and then it's cauliflower. And it's like, they're fucking vegetables. Like, <laughs> they're always going to be as delicious or undelicious as the cook who is handling them. Like, yeah. it's, put some butter in it. Like, it's 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 so dumb. And I I, mm. I know this is all being fed by, by people just looking for words to put on the internet or on a page. or Yeah. And I, I, Are I collards the new it. kale? Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, and I get it. I do. I, I get it. But I, I don't like it. I think it's really silly. Yeah, but you respond to these. Like, food does come in and out of fashion. You wouldn't put, like, beets with goat cheese and walnuts on your menu. Like, that's... Someone did once. <laughs> I think it was on the opening menu. But, um, but beets with, with walnuts... Uh, it's, it's delicious. It's delicious. That's the thing. It's delicious. It's so just that's out of fashion. It is. But that's, that's, a, that's And that's such a funny food thing that we were just talking about this with uh, my friends at dinner tonight. And uh, one of them was saying something about how awesome truffle oil was and I'm like I was just like Ugh, truffle oil gross uh, just spray and perfume on my like, food I'm, su- I'm such a restaurant snob about stuff like that because truffle oil P.S. is gross I'm going to write an essay about it and yeah. uh, have the ire of I don't know who likes truffle oil people in California I don't know and it's the most overpowering awful flavor used in tiny tiny amounts it can be lovely it yeah. can be delicious and like if you give me a bowl of like mushroom pasta and there's like just a tiny hint of truffle oil on it it's probably going to be really, really good. But I've just got these like preconceived ideas about things like like super jammy Shiraz and truffle oil. And it's not just that they're out of fashion. It's just that my palate can't handle them. And that's because I have an amazing palate. Right. <laughs> it's because I'm better than you. because I'm better than you. Yeah. No, it's because it, when you eat and drink a lot of things, you eventually always go leaner. That's how wine works. That's how, strangely, liquor doesn't exactly work that, but wine and food works like that. You just, like, your your taste just becomes leaner and smaller, and, like, that's why all I want to drink is, like... You think that your taste gets subtler? Is that what you mean by leaner? Yeah, well, like, you become so, like, you, if I try to drink a glass of, 
oh my god, this is gonna make me sound like such a dick. You have to leave that part in because I really want everyone to know that I think this is gonna make me sound like such a dick. But if I try to drink a glass of like super hot, jammy Shiraz or like California Cab, I, I just too much. It's too much. I don't want it. And that's why people that drink a lot of wine always end up drinking lots of white and lots of light red. Oh, like, you I know, I really can't believe you said that. <laughs> uh, wow. I think, I think you just incriminated yourself <laughs> fatally. And I I'm know. sorry. I, I'm duty bound as a journalist to put that out now, but it's going to be the end of you. Yeah, I know. Um, I think you, I think that's okay. I think it's going like to be that. okay. But I, I think that it's a kind of thing that can make you sound like such a snob. And so I recognize that people enjoy these things and I always have some option on the menu, but I don't have, Usually, any Australian Shiraz or Cali Cab, I'll put something different. That's like going going to be like, hey, you like this, but try this. Yeah, but you're veering way off topic again. You're talking what? about no, I'm not. the superiority of your taste over the masses. I'm trying to talk about like. Isn't that what I always talk about? I, I, I'm <laughs> trying to about you have succumbed to the faddishness of some foods, like anybody else. Like you, there's some stuff you're not going to. Is gonna bone put... marrow in style right now? Kind of. I think it might be on the way out. Like, yeah. What are we going to do? Right, <laughs> right, because you're because because like charcuterie was a food trend How and can is now something that is a way of preserving meat and has been forever and is PS super delicious be a food trend you know like that's always the question that I want to ask it's like it's, it's ridiculous well it is ridiculous but it is a food trend and then tacos which is like that's like saying sandwiches that's like a nation it is like saying sandwiches food. sandwiches are so hot right now yeah but this is true this kale actually, sandwiches so hot kale right sandwiches where the bread <laughs> is actually colored greens <laughs> Aspic is coming back. I had Aspic. Aspic is fucking coming back. You know what? I think Come Joe, on. I'm telling you, Joe B does a beautiful Aspic egg thing. It's fucking delicious. It's the original molecular I love astronomy. it. I, I actually love that they do that. And it's so tasty. Huh. Do you feel like it's moving in some new direction? Like, is it... I know it's like having been early to a trend and then on the trend and now by your own admission charcuterie and bone marrow by whatever map of the food trends is last year's trend sure. and, and you're like you're not going to stop doing that that's no, what you do it's delicious so it'd be easy for you to be like well we're above trends we're classic now but you, um, you are you, you've made your bones haha uh, as a hip restaurant right I think the word classic is wrong but I definitely think if you continue to produce delicious food and have great service and Whatever, you continue to create a good experience for people, you don't really have to worry so much. Yeah. And so whether that's classic or, you know, I think, I think I mean, you get to the six-year, seven-year point, which we're kind of coming around the corner to, and that's like something. And mm -hmm. so I think you can be a little bit above the idea of what a food trend is. I do think it's a real thing. I do think, obviously, like, when I talk to normals about food, it's always a really hard for me. What's funny about that though is like unlike other like pretty specialized urban snobby domains like whoa, whoa. like fine art or something where it's like you're just talking another language from people who don't have anything to do with it no one. People refuse to try to understand art though. Well, At yeah. least like food is easy to understand because everybody eats. That, that's what I'm saying is that you don't have to have anything to do with fine art at all ever. But food, it's almost like that Devil Wears Prada thing of like, people might scoff at you as some sort of food snob, but the stuff you're doing now will trickle down to the menu on milestones in five or six I years. Think it, I think that's true. Right? I think that's probably true. It's scary, but true. Let me think about it. If that's true, has there been something of the like off-cuts, charcuterie, fat-heavy kind of like food wave that has hit mass small chain Are you thinking about it right now? I am. Is there some, like, like what, oh, what you dish? Actually, you're seriously thinking about it? You don't already know the answer? Well, pork Did you belly. not prepare for this? Pork belly, yeah. It's, yeah absolutely. Pork yeah. belly, for sure. Pork belly was one of those things where it was, like, super, super cheap. I, even five years ago, pork belly was really very cheap, and it's 
gone considerably up and a lot of people are using it and because it's delicious pork mm-hmm. belly is always going to be delicious whether it's in or out of food fashion we're gonna um, have to we're gonna have to have a very soon a wine pause because i have to go get another bottle of wine let's do that now okay it's a great sound right there it's lighter than what we were drinking before oh that's really nice isn't it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good glad you like thank it. you you're welcome so do you think we need food reviewers anymore now that we have the internet I, I don't necessarily believe that food bloggers should be like taking over the jobs of restaurant critics. Although at the same time, you know, I think it is a more democratic process. Yeah. Every, I mean, one is not one is one person's opinion. And what if they just don't like your shit or they don't get it or they don't, it's not for them. Like there are some things like I can't review your Australian Shiraz. It's going to be a running theme. I just can't. I'm not gonna like it. Yeah. So I think I think there there is something sort of really lovely and democratic about sites like Yelp and Urban Spoon and any restaurateur who tells you they don't look at them is lying. Are you leaving Chowhound off on purpose? Um, I actually don't really look at Chowhound. It's funny. I don't. Not much. I mean, this is kind of it's the one to that I find the the least helpful. Like Yelp, I actually can, I find some value in it. Like yeah. I think people actually take the, take time to sit down and try and craft a review and try and fancy themselves a food writer. And occasionally like people do a really good job at it. And also, why is this guy lying? This guy's not lying about finding like a fucking cold part of some food somewhere or like yeah. somebody was a bitch because it was me. Like I, I know what I did and I know what happened and I know they deserved it and they're telling it in their context. But you know, I, I think like there's a lot of value in that. And I didn't always used to think that, but I've definitely come around to the idea that that's a much more democratic process. And if you're like getting really like good, solid reviews on a place like Yelp, you're probably doing something right. You hear restaurant people complaining both ways. Like the Chowhound is just a bunch of fucking jackals and haters. It is. And then you get you get a powerful critic and people are like, well, that's just one dude. So what does he know? So you can't have it both people, ways. Right? People choose the opinion that matters to them at the moment in time. Yeah. You know, I know what my palate is and I, I know how sensitive it is. And I know like I am also, despite how sensitive my palate is, I'm also really tolerant to salt. And also never mind our sense memories and our mom's cooking and all the shit that makes us who we are and what we like in food. Like it's so fucking subjective. Okay. So what's your subjective take? What's your review? Like, it was really exciting for a while to go out and try new places, but I kind of feel like it's cooled off. Like, there was an explosion of places after you guys, and, and it's not as exciting anymore. Yeah, I think it's a really young culture, this culture, and I think everybody's learning a lot of stuff. And I think at this point, um, nobody knows what good is, so they think okay is great. Yeah. Even in something about cocktails, you know, we're, we're developing, like, I, I definitely... Um, participated in the reintroduction of delicious cocktails to this city in some way. You participated. Did I participate as somebody who drank those cocktails? Or Um, did you perhaps participate to a greater extent than I did? Okay. You know, I can't say. It's like, you can't fucking, you know what I mean. Anyway. No, I don't know what you mean. Why don't you tell us? (laughs) Because you're trying to make me sound like a dick. I'm trying Um, to actually get you to say what you actually think. Because I, I know you are, and that's and you're very good at it. Um, no, I think that I think that I definitely um, was part of the leadership of bringing cocktails to the forefront of this city. Okay, and I, that's that's definitely what I think. And I think now um, there's all sorts of people interested in it, which is great. However, I've been uh, a judge at cocktail contests where like seventy percent of the cocktails that are presented to me are literally 
And I don't want to use that word because it's out of fashion now. Literally undrinkable. Like you can't, you can't get it into your mouth because you're like, why did you put so much bitters in this? Or why, like, how come you can't tell this isn't balanced? Or why is it so sweet? Or like, there's so many problems with people are so excited about doing this thing and, and cooking in this, maybe this Nordic way or this like taco way or whatever, but they, or making cocktails. And there's a lot of excitement, but not quite enough craft. And there's like a lot of support and let's call it is there like a bro support network? Like there's like a bro support network where they, everybody goes to each other's restaurants and everybody's like, you're killing it, you're killing it, you're killing it. And there's so much of this kind of inner circle cocksucking yeah. that I think it's the same way actors go and see each other's plays. Oh, they're and, insufferable. Oh, you were wonderful. You were revelatory. Yes, it was amazing. What I would love is actually to be able to talk about it. So, so the, the, the kind of tyranny of Canadian politeness is, is an enemy of excellence. Yes! Yes! Nice. No, that's exactly, exactly it. All right, that's all I got. Really? I think so. That was easy. Okay, that's your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. Check out the website, canadalandshow.com, where I will be posting the names of the wines you heard us drink on this episode. I am on Twitter, at Jesse Brown. You can always email me, jesse, at jessebrown.ca. There will be another podcast on Monday morning. If you like Canada Land, recommend it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will let me serve in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.